0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller, Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Hey, Jamar. What up, Bill? How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling good. How about you? Man, I'm strong, brother. I'm strong. Listen, the word of the day, you know what the word of the day is, Jamar? I do. Starts with an R. Come on. The word of the day is review. Listen, (laughs) y'all. We are about to give y'all a a movie review. I was going to say awesome movie review. I don't know. It's an awesome movie. (laughs) Our review may not be awesome, but hey, we're going to give it our best swing. But we're about to give you guys a review. So we're going to do a little exchange here. Good Faith Exchange. Review for review. We're going to give you guys a movie review, which you are hopefully going to love. Why don't you guys give us a review on iTunes right now? Go to Pastor Mike on iTunes. 5 stars 5 that's a number on a uh, fingers on your hand 5 not 4 not 3 not 2 not definitely not 1 come on come on guys 5 stars You can give us just a little bite-sized review. Say, hey, we like these guys. They're funny or they're not funny, but we still like them. Just tell us how Pastor Mike has encouraged you. And that helps us out so much. That gets us in front of more ears to be able to listen, uh, people to be able to listen to our insights. So go to iTunes right now. Review for review. review. Okay, I'm going to get it out. Review for review. That sounds pretty fair, right, Jamar?
0: I think that's a fair deal to listen to your dulcet voice on this podcast. Listen, More than the, fair.
1: Listen, you're the you're the second person to say dulcet. Now, what is dulcet, Jamar?
0: <laughs> it means sweet, pleasant to the ears. Uh, it's a positive thing. It's a compliment.
1: Man, you just gave me like a Merriam-Webster's dic- dictionary definition. Like, was that just sitting in your head? This is crazy. Well,
0: man. you know, I remember it because dul- dulce de leche is oh. uh, is it helps huh. me remember huh. sweetness of milk
1: man that's man this is layers bro like i feel like we're already in the movie review like what like okay now, now listen before we get into the movie review jamar what's been on your heart what's burning in your mind and in your soul that you just want to get out to the listeners want them to know
0: well funny you should ask um I just want to just give my verbal support to Dr. Russell Moore who's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission which is the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention which is the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. Uh, Dr. Moore and the ERLC have been going through some things. In in an intra-denominational dispute, uh, a few prominent churches have decided to withhold funds from the cooperative program, which is sort of the, the communal pot of money that churches contribute to to support various different ministries, everything from foreign missions to colleges and seminaries and the ERLC. But his opponents have taken issue with a lot of things, but namely his um, criticism, his outright and sustained criticism of President Donald Trump both during the election and in the presidency. And so he's taken some heat for that and just want to say uh, he's been a friend to Pass the Mic. He's been a friend to me, and uh, I've appreciated his his prophetic voice even though he can take some hits for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And that's something that we definitely know a little bit about here over at Pastor Mike. So good words, wise <laughs> yeah. words from one Jamar Tisby. I'm not in the denominational circle, so I don't know how all that works, but I do like uh, Dr. Moore. So definitely want him to, to end up okay. Hope everything ends up okay, even within the denomination. I have some friends who are there. So hope everything ends up well and that we can pursue the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, man. Amen. So, okay, what are we talking about today, Jamar? What what is Okay, okay. What are we talking first, about?
0: First of all, is it's time for you to put your foot in your mouth because you were hating. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. You let didn't me, think you didn't think hold I would on, go hold to on. See. Hold on,
1: let me Okay, let Okay, let me say this. Let me say this, okay? Now, guys, as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, which you guys can go back and listen to, I mentioned <laughs> uh, you know, just something that I had seen that was really helpful for me personally that I enjoyed. And that a lot of my friends enjoyed as well. And listen, so here's the thing. So I wanted to, I wanted to review it on the show, but Jamar has never watched a movie in his life. So he just found out about movies. There it is. Uh He just found out about movies. Keep it on, keep it on. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Like movies are great. You all should send Jamar a tweet be like, thank you for finally discovering what movies are, you (laughs) know, over, over a century into cinema. Thank you for doing that. But so he never watches movies. Now, in this one case, a few weeks later, he decides he wants to go see the movie. And then it he's tweeting. Two. He's texting me. He's saying, ah, look at this. Watch me. Watch this. Watch me. You know what? Like, you can have that, Jamar. I'm I'm just glad you watched it
0: for the people. You know what? You know what? I just I just hope you feel real good about yourself right now because you don't understand my situation. OK, oh, you I understand sitting up the situation, there. brother. You sitting up there. How ma- How many how many people does Pensacola have? What's the population of your city? 100,000. Piscola proper is 100,000. Okay, there you go. There you go. My town says on the sign 12,282, but that sign is old. The population's been declining since 1975. So Man, I got you probably uh, 10,000 people. You might I be in, in a, the look, Delta. You you live in the woods? You live in the woods? Look. Is hey, it a get out you,
1: situation? Is it a get, get out
0: situation? You get out of town and you definitely <laughs> need a get out of situation. Uh, it is an hour to the closest movie theater. Okay, uh, so you didn't we, tell me this, we Jamar. Got it. No, 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 no. You knew this, man. No, nah, you, you didn't I tell me this, w. Jamar. We got a kid. So getting to a movie is a logistical nightmare and a rarity. So I, 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 I went to class all day. Class got out at 6.30, went to see the 7 o'clock movie, hmm, got got done with that, then drove an hour and a half back to my house CG just Mark. so I could see the movie and not get hated on by folks like Tyler nah, you didn't, okay. look, listen, that's you did okay. not tell me all the layers. <laughs> you didn't tell me this. It's, it's okay? all right, man. I was just driving in the middle of North Mississippi at 10.30 at night uh, just so I could you do the podcast. And you had that
1: theme playing in your mind, Oh, <laughs> Yo, right? Brother this, was, brother, this was terrible movie to go see and then go drive in the in the country. And you went did terrible. you go solo too? Did you, you went solo? Yeah, I went solo. Oh man, brother, you brave. Wife bro. wifey was here with the kid, man. I went solo. For the culture, man. Listen, oh yo, my. we love you over here at Pastor Mike. We record we record late yeah, we, sometimes. We
0: risk our lives.
1: <laughs> we risk our lives for this. To give you man, people are like, man, these dudes clowning today. Listen, we're excited to be alive. We glad not to be in a get out situation. <laughs> That's just what it is, man. Yo, Jamar, big ups to you, man. Bo, let's insert some claps here. Yo, everybody, oh, let's give let's give Jamar a clap for for, no, for I'm seeing just this, you man. What's
0: really real. You know, y'all, y'all want to clown me because I ain't seen a movie in a minute. So hey, this is this is what we're dealing with.
1: Big ups, man. Yo, in, in five years <laughs> when you release your second book. And you get that million dollar advance for talking about race and history, bro. This is all going to be this is all going to be just a distant memory. Us messing with you about movies. It's just a distant memory, Jamar.
0: Well, look, I think everybody knows by now what movie we're talking about. It's, yep. uh, it's the Get Out movie by Jordan Peele. Yes. Tyler, bruh, man, my Whoa. dude. G, homie, fam. <laughs> yo, 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 after I after I, I watched feel like, it, yo, I was...
1: look, before you get to I feel like this is like a living breathing reenactment of our of our text messages. Like I feel like this is how, this is how we text and I feel like this is a living breathing reenactment of that.
0: Yo, it's like, it's like a one word message with an exclamation point and Bruh, it's just like, uh-huh, yeah. Mm. Fam, <laughs> like yo, this movie was this movie was bananas dot. It was bananas. It's, it's reached uh, over $100 million, which is a massive milestone for any movie. But Jordan Peele, who wrote and directed it, is the first uh, black writer-director to reach the $100 million, $100 million mark on his debut film. So big ups to Jordan Peele. And it only took like five $5 million to make. Like when yeah, you're thinking exactly. about it was- that,
1: it is unbelievable. So before we get into the actual plot and some of the layers – Jamar, what did you hear about the film outside of me? Because I kind of hyped it up and I was in your ear about it. But outside of me hyping it up and the people putting pressure on you to drive an hour in the middle of the night to go see this film, (laughs) what did you hear about it and what were you expecting in in the film?
0: Well, what caught my attention was a lot of Black folks were talking about it. And, And of course, it was like a horror film genre. So I'm like, What is going on now? Of course, I know Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, the sketch comedy duo, and I was a big fan of of his. I mean, they they do incredibly insightful uh, racial commentary. But on Key and Peele, it's a humorous way. And so what I was hearing about this movie was that there was like an M. Night Shyamalan type of deal, a plot twist at the end that that people were just, you know, raving about and as well as in particular just the the racial commentary as they always do but done through the genre of a horror film so i was i was intrigued from the get go and especially because a lot of the african american commentators are are really quite hard to please mm-hmm. and so to have such positive reviews from so many people i was like i got to check this out yeah absolutely so
1: for me my wife and i were watching a i believe it was the BET awards or something equivalent to that last year And it came on, like BET released the trailer for the first time. It was kind of the world premiere. And we were sitting there creeped out, you know, freaking out. (laughs) What are we watching here? You know, and we laughed at it like, yo, this is, even then though, it's something interesting about the way that they presented it, because I was like, man, that's crazy. And now I was thinking like, hmm, I think I might've even tweeted about it. I was thinking like, hmm. I might need to see this just to see it because, you know, we were in that space of talking about the social commentary, talking about race and its various complexities. So I'm like, man, maybe this would be a good movie to see. And then I was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But as time elapsed and it got closer and closer, I started hearing the reviews and I started seeing more trailers and I got really excited to see it. Now, I'm the type of person that I have high expectations of a movie if I'm eager to see it. And it is rare for a movie to meet those expectations. You know how you set yourself up for something and you're like, yo, it's it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And then you get there and it's not the greatest thing ever. So you think it's terrible. And I've had that happen a bunch of times. But this, I had high expectations for it. And it didn't matter how high my expectations were. It met all of my expectations. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is like the hub for movie reviews. And for the longest, it had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is basically a go-see-it-or-don't-go-see-it type of review um, site. And, you know, it kind of compiles reviews from other people across, you know, the broad spectrum of movie reviews and critics. And it was 100%. And then it just recently went to 99%. I mean, it was it's like an (laughs) incredible... And then if you think about it, I've heard this, that the demographics for the people who saw this movie were so close. So you've got... 30, I think it's somewhere around 38% of black people um, as far as its opening weekend. And then I think it was 36% of white people or 36% were white people. And then it was like 50-50 gender split, male and female. So it's like wow. it crossed all these barriers <laughs> and overcame heavy box office competition to be number one and then to not drop off. And it's it's a phenomenon, man. Like it's crazy.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And I think part of it is is not just the quality content of the film, which it which it definitely has. But it's so innovative. It's so unexpected. I mean, it's it's obviously a horror film genre, but it's not just straight up blood and gore throughout. And so I'm not a horror film guy. I think the last time I went to the theater and saw one was Candyman back in the 90s. And I left. Don't like say a his name. Bro. Through, Don't say it his so name. Freaky. It was so freaky. Um, so I'm not a horror film guy and this is more of a thriller, if you will. Uh, but it was also satirical and humorous. I mean, there were some laugh out loud parts to it Mm -hmm. and then there's a black male lead. There's interracial dating. Um, it just had all of these, uh, connection points that Mm -hmm. no matter kind of what demographic you're coming from, there was something that would intrigue you. And I think that's part of the genius of the film.
1: So, okay, let's, let's basically set this up get out yeah, is massive not, spoiler alert. yeah okay so we're going to talk spoilers so if you have not seen this please do not listen to this yo don't listen to this podcast like do not stop the podcast right now and yeah. pause it and go listen to the the get out soundtrack so it'll creep you <laughs> into going to see it and then then come back to the podcast but anyway so i want to say this to begin with get out is not really a straight-up horror film it's more of like the dark it's a dark comic thriller you know, that's just how I've tried to describe that's
0: it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a
1: psychological thriller. It's n- really and truly, and I said, you know, this to so a couple of people on Twitter, what, it, what it's critiquing is more terrifying than the actual film itself. Like the actual <laughs> events <laughs> of what that. happens, it, it's really what it's critiquing in the satirical elements of real life. So the plot is incredibly simple. And I think this is one of the things that shocks me, Jamar, that the movie is so good and the plot is so simple. It follows a young black man named Chris who is dating a girl named Rose who happens to be white. Now, after about five months of dating, Rose invites Chris up to her parents' house out in a secluded part of (laughs) nowhere, pretty much. Yeah, they don't name it. Yeah, exactly. So it's called the Armitage Estate. Now, the Armitage estate is, that's her name, Rose Armitage. And so we meet Dean, who's the father. We meet Missy, who's the mom. We meet Jeremy, who's the brother. And then we meet a couple of other interesting characters. We meet- that's uh, where
0: the creepiness comes out.
1: We meet the hired help. Uh, So we meet Georgina, who's the maid. And we meet Walter, who's the groundskeeper. So they're both black. And that automatically brings to mind some very uncomfortable imagery, which is addressed throughout the film. And then we meet another primary character is Rod. Now that's Chris's friend and everybody needs a Rod. That's all I'm just going to say. Everybody needs. Absolutely. You need you a Rod in your life for a number of different reasons. Um, Bro was a a prophet. Listen, Rod knew what was up from, from jump. Rod knew what was up and Rod was there for Chris when he needed to be there for Chris. Okay. TSA is all I'm going to say, but, um, (laughs) Man. So it's very interesting. So it follows a very simplistic plot. And immediately, as soon as he gets there, he feels a little creeped out. On the way there, they run into a deer. Right. And then they have this interesting tension filled discussion with the police. What was your perception of the discussion with the police, Jamar?
0: Oh, my goodness. I could feel with Chris's character because... The the Chris wasn't even driving, right? But the cop still asks him for ID, and of course, the cop is a is a is a white man, and um, Chris's girlfriend, she's basically trying to argue with the cop, like he wasn't driving. Why do you need to see his ID? And Chris is like, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll show him. As if, I mean, he's basically saying, look, this happens all the time. I I just have come to expect it. This is mm-hmm. the way it is with black people. And certain law enforcement. And I was like, wow, that is, you know, that is such a common response, such a common reaction and such a common interchange, uh, unfortunately. And so I just I I could I could resonate and I was awkward kind of for them. And then you kind of celebrated with him when when Rose basically shuts the cop down and and has oh, him go on that. his way. Oh, look at that. That's white
1: allyship. You know, you're like, oh, okay, white allies. <laughs> like, yo, this is
0: dope. But
1: then see, also related to up. that, see, but related to that, the problem was it's almost as though even before that we saw they Chris, they had Chris ask her, like, yo, did you tell your parents I'm black? And she was like, no like does it matter you know okay. and he's like what do you mean like of course it does like of course like you would want that you would want them to notice you know as a black man and and even in that scene though there was some there was some sort of denial of yes. the plight that black men face
0: yes
1: like and the plight that that all black people face which is the inherent suspicion, which is the stereotypes that have been reinforced over centuries on cinema, in real life, in nightly news, etc., of black bodies, of black sexuality, um, of black laziness, black violence, black pathology, all these things will run through your head if your parents aren't pre- prepared for this, Right. And it's Dang. funny because in in the police scene, I identify because this actually recently happened to me. My wife is driving oh. and, and we went, we were actually turning onto the road to take us to our apartment complex and we got pulled over. And so the cop is talking to my wife and then all of a sudden I see this light shining and the dude knocks on the passenger side window where I'm at. And so I'm like, oh. why are they, Dang. why are they reaching out to me? And so he like demands for ID. I mean, they were chill about it, but he demands for ID and he has to check my ID too, and I'm thinking like, "Yo, why does he have to check?" And even my wife was just kind of like, "Why does he have to check it?" I was like, "Babe, it's cool. Like, if that's what they want to do, like, it's cool. Like, let them do it." Because see, the problem is sometimes, and people have mentioned this: if you attack, anti- if the woman antagonizes them, they don't take it out on you; they take it out on me. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. get out the car. And he's like, "Yo, let's keep it cool. Let's keep it chill. Let's keep it chill. I'll give you exactly. my ID. I'm not trying to start nothing. I'm compliant." I'm wide open here. I'm not on anything. Let's just obey because we know that sometimes that can come back to haunt us, you know?
0: Yes, it could be it could be the difference between freedom and incarceration or even life or death is what it feels like a yeah. lot of times. And exactly. it was it was crazy though to see uh Rose's girlfriend like literally arguing with the cop. And you could just imagine if that was Chris, oh. the black man Arguing right. with the cop.
1: Yeah, cussing at the cop. Like, girl, you crazy? Like, what?
0: Like, shoot. Wh- what you need?
1: What <laughs> you doing? Like, <laughs> I'll be looking at her like, huh? Like, okay. So before before we continue, I gotta ask you this. I gotta ask you this, Jamar, because this is as we enter into the conversations that happen with Dean and Missy, and Chris and Rose. As soon as they arrive, have you ever been in a situation like this? Because I have. I've been in a situation like this.
0: And I'll I, I'll let you start, and then, then what I'll you go. mean like like out in the wilderness, bro, type yes. of deal, or just meeting the parents? Me, meeting the parents out in the wilderness. Uh, I don't think I've ever first met the parents out in the wilderness, but I've definitely been in an interracial relationship and have met the parents, and it was awkward. Um, oh. but it was awkward in a different way. Like these are rich white people and all their assumptions. I was with like blue collar white folks with which has a sort of different. Oh set bro. of assumptions but assumptions all the same so bro. not exactly but you were bro i was gonna get out situation to tell about it i was gonna get out situation man okay okay like, this bro. is
1: college like okay so so the the girl i was dating at the time she's like hey i want to take you out to meet my dad i'm like cool and she tells me where it's at i'm like i've never heard of that city in my life she's like oh it's oh, out man. like kind of in the back country
0: dude and, is this in the
1: florida panhandle no nah, this is virginia this is Regina okay. homie. Like oh, man. look, okay. And so I was like, huh, okay. Like, this is dope. I'd love to meet your dad. And so I get there and buddy's wearing camo. Oh. He's like in the middle of nowhere. He got guns lying around everywhere. Um, deer on the wall. I, I could be honest with y'all about this. Like, I've i yeah, knows all about this. Like, this is this this is what and I was sitting there like, what is about to happen? Because I'm like, when it got dark, there were no lights. It was just, they had like a fire out back. I'm like, bruh, what is it? So I felt all this tension. And I felt all this tension. As soon as we walk in, we don't see that. We see this intelligent, well-to-do, rich, upper-class couple. And they start having a conversation. But the problem is the conversation it it takes a little oh. bit of a turn, right? Like Dean is asking some weird questions. Like he's like, "How long has this <laughs> thing been going on?" Right? Like, <laughs> why are you talking to me like that?
0: <laughs> so creepy. Yes, yes, yes. And this was this was really part of what makes the movie work on a lot of levels. Is that it's it's the racial commentary is mostly subtle, right? It's right. not so in your face. It's not somebody calling somebody else the n word or 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 wearing a, a, a t-shirt with a swastika on it or something like that he he says yeah i i voted for obama you know like that could mean Bruh. nothing like, or it could we didn't even talk about po- what
1: why why are you talking about <laughs> politics you know how people sometimes Yo. so this is this is one of the things i think the movie does so well and the movie does it so well because it talks about these things in a very natural way that we can relate to. And one of the ways we can relate to is when people say things to gain rapport. And these things are random. They're totally off the wall. They might come at a time where you're not even expecting. And he says, oh, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. Assuming (laughs) so many things about him, right? And this happens throughout the assumptions. You know, they're at the gathering, the big gathering and a lady grabs his his body and starts saying "Ooh, he's strong he's this he's that the brother says oh with your genetic makeup you could be a beast in mma fighting you know as though Mm. there's something about us that lends itself more to to fighting lends itself more to like physical violence right and
0: and 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 it's just the 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 commodification of black bodies right that's exactly what it is not being viewed as a full human being, but only being valued for your physical parts, for right. your, the strength of your body, for the health of your body, for the labor output that you can mm-hmm. do, or even for the status that that your success might lend to someone else. So it was or even, that, to cool, those, right?
1: those even to be cool, right? Even to be cool, like yes. people just sometimes Cultural appropriation. I, this happens all the time, and I'm just being very honest about my life, so you guys can see why this resonates so much with us. But you know, I pull into the coffee shop sometimes, and a uh, guy stick his head out. What up, homie? I'm like, huh? I don't know you, bro. You like, don't
0: <laughs> never talk like that in like, your life. You,
1: and even and this happens even with with people who are the same um, ethnicity as me when they when they see me and they're giving someone professional service, and then they just hit me with, "Yo, what's good, dog?" And I'm like. <laughs> Uh, okay like yo i'm (laughs) not your homie from the block like yo don't don't call me whatever you know like i hate when people do that
0: but that could work both ways because sometimes that's sort of like a a kinship like it happened in the movie uh where chris goes up to another black person that he sees there and he code switches because he's like yo it's good to see another brother here okay so before yo
1: before we get to that we gotta talk about the (laughs) sunken place okay Look, oh. okay, so before we get there, we got to talk about a sunken place. Now, this is important for you to know. Little thing happens. They start critiquing Chris about his cigarette habit, and yeah. they give the impression that Missy, the mom, can take care of that cigarette habit. So, he asks how. So, she says by hypnosis. And and in that moment, it's so subtle, she starts stirring the tea right then, right? So, she starts <laughs> like, she starts stirring Why it in gotta that moment. got to
0: use the tea? Look, man. It, it tea is such like, I love tea too, bro I mean, wow. And it's already already on the internet too. So now they totally flip the definition of, of exactly. tea. Exactly
1: <laughs> spilling tea and all that, <laughs> sipping tea. And so she's she's starting to do that, and he's like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm okay. Now Chris gets up in the middle of the night, goes outside to smoke a cigarette, and sees some weird things. He sees Georgina, who's the maid, just basically staring at the her reflection in the mirror he doesn't know what she's staring at the way she's staring is really awkward and she's moving erratically and then he sees walter run full speed at him right
0: that was one of the creepiest parts of the movie
1: and it was crazy because you saw it coming because it was in the trailer but the way in which he did it and the tension which had been building made it so much scarier in the movie than it was in the trailer and and you know people have, have flipped this we need to do the get out challenge when we in ATL, we need to do the get out challenge. We need to find like an open field and do that. I love it. I love it. But so it's interesting. So as soon as he goes back in, Missy is waiting for him in her little psychiatrist office and basically saying, yo, you need to come here and sit down. T- start talking to him about his cigarette addiction. And then she's slowly but surely saying, don't you want to know how this works? Don't you want to know what happens? And I'm, you know, everybody in the room is saying, nah, bruh. You don't want to find out. Get
0: out. (laughs) Get out.
1: Like Everybody's whispering and saying that. But what you see here is she's creating this focal point. And then all of a sudden you recognize he's paralyzed. He can't move. She starts bringing up stuff about his past, uncovering it, shaming him for it, which is interesting. She starts shaming him for his past. And then she says, sink into the floor. And as soon as she says Mm. sink... He basically falls into what is known in the movie as the sunken place. It's a place where he can see things that are going on, but he cannot move. He can't. He has no physical control over his faculties. Now, what type of metaphor is the sunken place, Jamar? Because that is really interesting. That is an interesting device for the movie to to put forward.
0: It's an extremely interesting device because of the loss of functionality where you can see, but you can't act and you can go all over in many different directions with that metaphor but part of it is just sort of the helplessness that you feel as a racial minority in a predominantly white society where you can see what's going to stop it or to do anything while things keep happening to you that you don't have any control over so i mean it's a lot of different things, but that was one of the aspects that stuck out to me. I right. mean, what did you think about the sunken place?
1: It's also a place where you lose your individuality, like you lose who you are. And one of the things that we try to do at Pastor Mike, and we've mentioned this even before in podcasts this year, is we try to give you an authentic look into who we are. Like we don't try to sugarcoat like our blackness or sugarcoat our cultural affiliation, even as we are born again Christian men who are passionate about theology, passionate about the spreading of the gospel, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, all those things that we're passionate about, we don't want to suppress who we are and put it to the background because we believe that God has created that as a means by which he can express his gospel. It is the diversity and the beauty of the the every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, right? So... For me the sunken place represents when we let go and just fully assimilate into culture like we don't have the complexity of who we are we don't have and and we're really robbing the culture of something we're really morphing into just the majority idea And that might be something that people force us to do. And in some cases, we might feel like we have to be in a sunken place as an idea of self-preservation so that we don't make anyone feel uncomfortable or don't make them feel threatened or intimidated in any way by us. But whatever it is, I think we've all felt like in some way, shape or form, we've been in that sunken place, paralyzed, unable to move, you know?
0: And I just can't get away from this corporeal aspect of it that it has to do with the body. And when you're in the sunken place, you've lost control of your body. And then what is really at issue and what is the topic of conversation is still your body, which you don't have control. That's so good now. You know, it's so good. that all comes together in the end, but but Tanahasi Coates put this puts this really well in his book Between the World and Me. It's 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 a paragraph. Uh, I think it's on page nine because I go back to it so often. But he basically makes the point that that the end result of racism, the 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 conclusion of it, the the height or the depth of racism, always takes itself out on the physical body of black people crushed throats bodies locked behind bars um necks stretched in a lynching beaten raped whatever Mm. it is it always takes itself out on Mm. the body and that's one of the things that kept cycling through my head throughout this entire film
1: man that is so good jamar bro that just rocked me man (laughs) yo oh there's so (laughs) many different layers okay so he meets then, then they have this big gathering after he she oh. hypnotizes. Then they have this big gathering, and then he starts meeting some of the the neighbors. Now, his his just just rule here: whenever people roll up in packs into a group in in a <laughs> private place with a gazebo, I'm out. Like I'm out if there's <laughs> yeah. multiple black cars and you hugging the groundskeeper and all this. Like, nah, man. Like I'm good. Something's up. Something's up. Something's up. up. He doesn't pick up on that. Okay. So basically what's happening is he's saw. Yeah, because they, they pass
0: it off like, yeah, they pass it off as like this big coincidence. They do this big annual gathering every year and it just happens to be on the weekend that they're up there. His girlfriend nah, plays it off. Nah, I don't believe um, in it.
1: And see, Rod <laughs> is even saying this. Rod is telling him. And this is what I love about Get Out, another tidbit, is because they have characters at one point or another, every character is saying what the audience is thinking like so there are yeah. black characters who are rod is basically the audience embodied on the screen he's like bruh don't do this because this this and this is gonna happen you already know you don't know what you're gonna do they made <laughs> you a slave already like who knows what's going on and he's just like man you tripping like you're funny but you're tripping like
0: it's not going. And, and that's that's I was listening to some interviews of of Jordan Peele talk about the film, and that's precisely what he wanted the character to be. He's like, this character is basically what everybody in the movie theater is yelling at the screen during a horror film. Like, don't go in there. or No, she's going to kill you or whatever it is. Yeah. So he he played it off. with The dude's name is um, I think it's Little Little, Little Little Ray Howie.
1: Yeah. Little Ray Howie.
0: Yeah. 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 He's he's got a stand-up show, I think, on Netflix. Uh pretty hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah that so was that was so
1: funny, man. So at the <laughs> party, he he's kind of searching around, as you mentioned earlier. He he sees and catches the eye of one, the sole other black person, not named Walter and Georgina, at the party. Ooh. And he walks up to him and is like, hey, brother. And so this brother is dressed differently, et cetera. And he he you know says, Hey, it's good to see another brother here and puts out his fist and in a Get Out is so funny because it has these <laughs> universe, it's universalized this black fear and terror and it's made its way into the black cultural lexicon in record time. So he puts out his fist and this is something that the people in my community we do now just for fun. If someone puts out their fist, someone will hold it and say, yo, I'm not okay. Like help me. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> just shake the fist like, instead of fish bumping.
1: Yeah, just just hold it oh, and shake it instead cool. of fish bumping. And that and so automatically he's like, what's up with this brother? Like what's going on? Right. So he goes upstairs and then he has this conversation with Georgina. Now this, mm. straight up and down, Jamar was the best acted scene in the movie. Georgina is, and the lady who played Georgina is an incredible actress. Yeah. Because she does something, Chris tries to appeal to his common, you know, when you get in these settings, you're like, man, I just get nervous when there's so many white people around, which is a common little joke that's intra-racial that black people have with each other to diffuse the tension of the moment to look for some allyship and some kindred kindred understanding and to say, listen, you you know what I mean, right? You know what I'm saying. And she breaks and she cries while smiling, while saying yeah. no. And oh she God. says this very interesting phrase. She said, they treat us like family. Oh. And I'm like, bro, this, this scene is so crazy. Because Man, when... <laughs> When you think about it it's it's the age old issue with this idea and identity when you feel like you're in a in a majority space and you're trying to be who you are and you're looking with suspicion like should i should I be suspicious should I be questioning of my environment should I keep my head on a swivel It's like "Oh well they treat me like family and they treat us like family like don't worry about it like we're 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 part of the family and and they would probably say we do treat you like family like we've never looked at you differently because you're black we don't see color or we don't you know what i'm saying like so, all these little yeah, things she, that like yeah. bring and and she perfectly embodied that
0: well it, it it so when the problem with the phrase they treat us like family is fundamentally about power so it's very easy to treat the help like family because they're no threat to you and you don't have to share power. And anything nice that you do for them is benevolence going above and beyond what you need to do as an employer. Right. And the and, oh,
1: you and, should and, be happy. You should be happy. We, yeah, you we should pay be grateful you like,
0: all over. of a sudden, you know, magnanimous favors. Um, exactly. and, and then, you know, I've heard people say, you know, The family dog, you treat like part of a family and not to uh, be pejorative toward black people. But the point is that you can easily treat someone or something that you think is lesser as an affectionate, you know, member, quote unquote, of the family. And think that you're doing
1: them a favor. Like we're doing you a favor here. Come on. Like we treat you so well and we're not harmful to you. As though, you know, the baseline of harm and treating someone with dignity is now laudable. Like, oh, right, well, we right, don't right. we don't call you the N-word. Like, okay, well, I mean, Thank like,
0: you. <laughs> thanks, you know, but I, that's the baseline of humanity. You're the, basically, you're the help, but we don't treat you like the right. help. But right. in night treating you like the help, that accrues to our favor because we're so nice. Um, yeah, whatever. And then, and then, but but I saw a critique uh, that I thought was very interesting. They they were basically critiquing the extremely minimal role of black women in mm-hmm. the film, and I don't know on the director's part whether that was a statement or intentional or what have you. But it's all it's it's pretty stark when you think about uh women like Viola Davis and uh the movie Hidden Figures and the prominence of black women in cinema right now to only have what one or two black women in the entire film so yeah two black women in the entire film
1: and and you know to be honest with you we've we've talked about this and and it's why we're we're so excited about you know ventures like truth's table the Table. table, the podcast you know coming out um that's already out actually that you can go you can go subscribe to on itunes but we're so passionate about stuff like that because black women have consistently been the most disrespected erased marginalized class of people in american culture and we know that there have been a lot of other cultures with it's not the oppression olympics like that's not what i'm getting into but We do recognize that in these conversations, even the conversation about police brutality, black women largely get erased. And then, even if we're thinking just about from the body of Christ, like how are black women treated for a culturally specific form of biblical womanhood? You know, how are black women treated for their expression of opinion? How are black women treated um, as as equals of black men? You know, especially in complementarian circles. So there's so many different things that can go into that, but. It is something that is is definitely the film is not perfect. And I think that was done intentionally. And I think that was done for a reason. But I I'm not co-signing the fact that there were only two, you know, a majority of two black women in the film. And I think that is that is a problem. That's problematic for sure.
0: And uh, now, but I 100 percent agree. But I give mad props to those two ladies because they killed it, killed it.
1: They killed. I mean, Georgina's character. She was that scene is the most haunting scene of the movie, you know, and that's saying a lot for how many haunting scenes there were in the movie. And it was all because she delivered it so well. Um, Man, it's crazy. Okay, so Chris gets this feeling. He denies it. Then we basically see that Chris is being auctioned off. Now, now there's the turn. Right, he's being auctioned off, and different people want him for different reasons. Right. One woman wants him for, clearly wants him for sexual reasons, right? Another guy wants him because, oh, I'll be on the cutting edge of culture because black is in fashion now. Um, Another guy wants him because he'll have his power on the golf course. And then we see that the one who eventually buys him is a blind man who cannot see him, but he wants his eyes like because he's a photographer. And so he wants his eye. And this guy lost his sight while he was being uh, a photographer. So he wants that. Now, as soon as we see that, something interesting happens because Chris makes a decision. Yo, let's go home. He's trying to convince Rose. Let's do it. Like, let's get out of here. I don't want to. And he's thinking she's going to say, whatever, you know, like, go by yourself. And she says, let's go together. Like, who cares about this? Let's go. And that's when everything turns because we find out soon thereafter, Rose has been in on it the whole time. Uh She turns and it's, it's so... It's so terrifyingly evil how she does it, that she had the keys the whole time in that purse. And you guys know what scene I'm talking about, where he's just basically screaming out in desperation. You kind of feel the walls closing in on him. He sees that, hey, I'm in physical danger. And this is really, he gives a reaction that a lot of black men give in that that, that space of physical threat to their body. They scream. You know, mm. like we see Eric Garner like screams, like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You know, oh, like, like, and, and it's, it's, it, people don't understand. Like they, they think that's a, a defiance, but that's like a, a salvation mechanism. Like we're surviving like we're trying to, yo, where are the keys? <laughs> and he's screaming <laughs> to her like, yo, where man. are those keys? And then she just started says, you know, I can't give you these keys. And that's oh. when we find out the entire family has been in a the whole time bruh
0: and there's there's a couple of things i mean just just in that scene i'm so glad that chris saw the little open door in the room where he goes in and he sees this box of pictures of rose the white girl with all of these other black boyfriends you know she's posing with them she's smiling she's hugging them and she says she's never had a black boyfriend so already Chris's clued in something is going on here, so I'm thankful that he saw that because otherwise he would have gone downstairs only only thinking that she was his ally and then she would have faked like she couldn't find the car keys and he would have been like, "What gives and he would have tried to protect her when she was still out to get him the whole time so I'm glad he at least had his suspicion um before huh. it was ultimately frighteningly confirmed but but just going back a little bit to the um to the party which it it, it is like a a slave auction Mm -hmm. and there's there's actually a moment that comes a little later in the film where where the father is standing up in the gazebo with a picture of chris and they're literally they're supposed to be playing bingo but they're actually bidding on his body yeah and and that right there was 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 so chilling to me because i read this book called soul by soul Life Inside the Antebellum Slave Market by Walter Johnson, Soul by Soul. And this is what uh, Walter Johnson focuses on. A lot of people focus on sort of the slave trade in general, but he focuses on the slave market, the auction where people were actually sold. And this is what he says. The, this is by James W.C. Pennington from The Fugitive Blacksmith, who's quoted in the book. He says, the being of slavery its soul and its body lives and moves in the chattel principle, meaning the property principle, the bill of sale principle. And then he goes on to say the cart whip, starvation, and, and nakedness are all its inevitable consequences. And that just struck me so much because it is the literal m- valuing of bodies in hmm. dollars in cents. Yeah that dehumanizes someone to the point where you can whip them starve them uh refuse to clothe them not fund their education Ooh. and in this or, movie, or just refuse their dignity in any way shape or form right like it, exactly but but then that takes itself out in physical consequences yes. <laughs> like taking someone's body completely yes. physically so anyway i just like like that that's chattel- such that, a good quote bro It's but it's so relevant today, man, like the vestiges of the fact that black people have been, you know, origins matter, roots matter. And so when when the first Africans come in 1619, they come as chattel and are sold Mm. to the English in in uh, the Virginia colony. And from that point forward. It defined uh, the existence of of people of African descent Mm -hmm. in what would become the United States. And we are still living down that legacy. And like you said, the devaluing of black people and the diminishing of their humanity and the image of God in them, because we're still living down that chattel principle, that property principle. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Man, that is so good. Now, let me let me get into this. So obviously, the film takes a turn at the end. It's made clear what's going on. They are wanting to use the black body with while, you know, robbing the black voice. You know, it's something that Dr. Jarvis Williams even recently, you know, talked about, you know, on RandNetwork.org and also on the and also on the podcast when he talked about people wanting black faces but not black voices, right? Like black bodies yeah. but not black culture. And so it's clear that they're robbing them of their personhood. And they even say, Oh, well, maybe some of you will be there. But we're gonna put our brain in you to use you for whatever reason we want. Now, a couple of things that I find really interesting about this film. This film is so layered. You have to see it multiple times to catch everything. It is the film that I have thought about so much over the past few weeks. I, I cannot wait to go back to see it. I'm shocked I haven't had I just haven't had time to go back to see it. I feel like Jamar here and not having time to go to the movies. But <laughs> I, I want I, I have to go see this again. Because there's so much I feel like I miss. There's so much that I want to yeah. experience again. And yeah. one of these little layers, man, I don't know if you knew this, but there is a hidden message in the main score of the film. So in the main title of the film, that little brother that was mentioned earlier, that's actually after that, there's a Swahili message in there. And the song is called uh Sikiliza Kwa Wahenga. And it literally means, listen to your ancestors, watch your back, something's coming, and it ain't good. It literally, in that original title, is a Swahili message that basically says, get out, so to speak. There's also layers of what happens at the end where we won't get into the details of the scene, but Chris has an opportunity to get himself out, so to speak. And so Chris sees that he has an opportunity to get himself out, but he's there with a white body (laughs) who is the victim of a gunshot wound, and he's there, and then all we see is the siren of the police. And everyone in the theater was like, oh, no, oh, no. (laughs) And then it's Rod. What a brilliant turn. What a brilliant turn. Because the thing that has been so often the thing that's plagued the black community, police brutality and its tenuous relationship with law enforcement going back centuries, which you've talked about many times, Jamar, that is actually the sign of his salvation. That is actually the thing that got him away. Even the thing that in, in the earlier parts of the movie brought tension. I thought it was going to be that same cop, you know, come yeah, back exactly. around. was like, Oh they no, how are you going to, how are you going to explain this? How are you going to, and that's just the beauty of the film. There's so many layers. Like, he gets saved by cotton you know the the father who was talking bad about the deer earlier gets killed with the deer you know it's just like what like this is just so it's so many different layers and it's just such a smart and clever movie but one thing i will point out that i really enjoyed before i let you hop in jamar is this film is such a brilliant critique of the good quote unquote racism, the safe racism of liberalism That's right. That's and liberalism right. in so many different ways. You know, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap where people are, are speaking we're like, oh, you're just talking about one party. You're just talking about one candidate. You're not talking about other candidates. And and if we watch things like the 13th and you watch things like um, just all these documentaries, you see that there's equal opportunity offenders on both sides of the political spectrum and there are dastardly policies that have been put in place by both Republicans and Democrats. It is not a respecter of person, right? There, it, It's just a thing that power tends to corrupt. And whatever side has it, they tend to use it in a way that otherizes blackness and otherizes um, ethnic minorities. And so one of the ways I thought was really clever is I don't know if you've ever seen this show, The West Wing. Have you ever seen The West Wing, Jamar?
0: I have seen it, yes.
1: So I don't know if you caught this because he looks totally different. But Dean, a Rose's father, is played by Bradley Whitford, who also played Josh Lyman on the West Wing. Now, Josh Lyman was one of the West Wing's most beloved characters. It's weird, because when I saw Josh Lyman there, I was like, you know what? This could be an older version of Josh Lyman. And and, and that's so striking, because Uh, the West Wing was a portrayal of a liberal White House And a good to the core liberal White House that talked about many issues from it it was ahead of its time in many ways. Talks about LGBT concerns, talks about race, um, talks about government spending, talks about healthcare. talks about college tuition, education, all these different things from a liberal perspective. And it's interesting because even some of the ways in which the West Wing deals with race, I go back and watch and I'm like, this is incredibly problematic. Like you guys are doing the same exact thing in the writing and the portrayal right. and the acting. You're doing the same exact thing that we critique. You're you're doing the same exact thing you critique. You're objectifying blackness. Like you're commodifying blackness. Like you're using it for its own gain, for your own gain. And it's it's just crazy to see that connection because I I guarantee you Jordan Peele had to have thought okay people know Bradley Whitford from The West Wing. Wouldn't it be so interesting to critique this sort of liberal intelligentsia racism that comes across and we feel it all the time too. So I thought that was really cool. That wasn't just critiquing kind of this conservative alt-right form of racism, but it's really critiquing the people who are doing it and then denying it. And then in some ways doing it and they don't even care. Like they know they're doing it and they're just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna make you think like you're part of the family. But in reality, I'm using you.
0: And, and, you know, it was sort of refreshing that this movie didn't seem to take place in the deep south. Now, they don't come out and identify specifically where it is, but you're not hearing the southern twang or accents. You don't have people, you know, out there hunting and, and doing all these stereotypical things of the south. And I think that plays into what you're talking about is uh, the racism on the part of, of whites who are liberal or socially progressive and. It's sort of like it, it. It's it comes out. The end result is the same. The the dehumanization of people of color, but they get at it from a different way. It's as if liberals w- can give intellectual assent to right. the fact that yes. there's equality and and that you know w- this is important, and we don't want to be like those bigots down south or whoever you want to caricature. But in their efforts to be racially aware, racially conscious, they still don't have contact with black people. And that, I think, for me, is the fundamental thing is it's easy to caricature and stereotype people who you don't really know. And the reality is whether you're liberal or conservative, if you're white, you tend not to have many black friends. Um, There's a, a... A graphic I come back to all the time where it says if you have 100 friends and you're white, let's say you have 100 friends, um, statistically speaking, only one of those friends would be black. And so that's the fundamental gap there is Mm -hmm. that you can sort of philosophically and abstractly understand equality. But if you don't actually have someone who embodies the other then you will continue to dehumanize that other. Right. So, so yeah, that was came through loud and clear in the film.
1: Yeah. And I just want to say, like, it's interesting, you know, for a lot of people, they would say, man, where well, there aren't that many black people where I live, you know, or, you know, that I have an opportunity to interact with or that I can sit down and have lunch with on a regular basis because they live in Largely homogenous circles go to homogenous churches. And I, I recognize that sometimes geography prevents that. You know, we are dealing with stark number differences here. But for some people, I fully recognize that that outlet is the mic. You know, that outlet yes. is the Reformed African American Network. That outlet is, is Troops Table, you know. And so we, we again, like that is not something that we take lightly at all, you know. But th- the key is that you're listening to Black voices, that you're hearing that experience. Yeah, you
0: go- Look, I'm just going to take the pressure off. If you're white and you're just wading into this, you're going to mess up. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to you're going to say one of the things that was a commentary in the film. That's an issue, but it's not as much of an issue if you're willing to listen and learn, if you're willing to say here that you messed up or this was offensive or this is how this could be interpreted by some people and say, oh, Oh my goodness, I didn't know right. that. Thank you for telling me. Um I'll I'll try to listen. I'll try to yeah. do better. And that's what we're working towards with um brothers and sisters of, of different races, especially yeah. those who are white. You and know,
1: and so. this is why this is why the gospel of, of Christ is helpful for us, because in this discussion, it gives us the proper equipment to have this discussion one of the the tools that we need is grace and mercy. You know, we're going to have to have a lot of grace with each other. You know, there are going to be times we don't understand each other. There's going to have to be grace extended. But I think this really speaks to even not coming from a Christian perspective, the movie itself speaks to this I think fundamental fact which is we have to work hard to retrain our eyes to see brown skin with humanity. Like to see mm. brown skin with dignity. That yep. is a lifelong journey. And I think some people some people have this idea, they get into the race discussion for a quick resolution. They want to quickly resolve this issue in their minds to because the worst thing, one of the worst things you can be called in our culture is, is racist. You know, and so so you want to get that out of your mind. Like there's no way. There's no way I'm racist. So what you do is you wait into this conversation, you become a temporary ally, and then you hop out of this conversation when it gets a little sticky, because you're like, like, man, like you guys aren't what's good enough for you guys? Like, what's good enough? Like what's the solution? Like, what's the resolution? You just want to continue this conversation forever. And, and the problem is sin is always going to be here in this broken and fallen world, and so this is going to be something that we can never say we're over. We can never say, "Oh well, we don't have that problem." No, it's going to take work and it's going to take diligence and vigilance for the body of Christ to see brown skin with all the humanity and dignity and worth and value and flourishing potential that God created us with. And if if you think that this is going to be something that you hop in and hop out of, I'm sorry, you're sadly mistaken. It's going to take a long time (laughs) and it's going to take a constant, but that's what sanctification is, right? Sanctification is a lifelong process. We, We are never fully there yet, but in Christ, we're always pushing there. The spirit is always sanctifying us by the word. We're always in community, getting sharpened by our brothers and sisters, seeing things that we didn't see previously. Sin is always on the inside of us and it is going to be something that is a lifelong pursuit. So when people say, and it even comes up in the movie, Oh, that that's never me. You know, I know the optics look bad, but no, nah, I, I wouldn't do that. The reality is probably a more mature perspective is, you know what? I probably would. That probably would be something that I would fall into, but I'm going to rely on you, my brother. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to say, help me see this so that I don't continue to make this mistake. I think that's what we're at, man. Like This is a constant process and it's work, but we have to come in acknowledging that this could be us. And, and we could really make this mistake and we don't want to make this mistake. And that's where we need the body. That's where we need voices of color not to be suppressed when things get difficult and tough, not to expect some quick resolution with all these solutions, not to constantly point the finger at them, not to set all these stipulations of what the conversation should be, but rather to come in and say, hey, however long this takes, it may take till glory <laughs> for God to come back and resolve this but I want to make this conversation more dignifying for you and so I'm willing I'm here. I'm never ejecting in this com- from this conversation when it gets difficult, but I'm here for you. And that's what that's what we value as people of color,
0: you know? Yeah, and 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 it dovetails with the movie. I mean, we never said it explicitly, but they take over black bodies, which is sort of the final extension of using black bodies, right? not just controlling them and using them externally, but actually taking over the body from inside. And I think that's part of the commentary that that Jordan Peele is making in this movie is is that this desire to control black people ultimately manifests itself in you know putting a white brain in a black body to completely control this black body which is chilling right yeah. and and that's sort of my final takeaway of the entire film which I've mentioned throughout this podcast is again the chattel principle yeah. is that in valuing black people for their bodies you devalue the humanity of black people and that's that so is hmm. the message that we have got bodies we've devalued black people for their humanity and we have to as believers see the humanity in other people for who they are not just for what they can do for us not just for how we can use them and you know yeah. this has particularly poignant meaning when you look at a people who have been in literal chains to control their bodies yeah. so Man. it's not a you know not a flawless film and nah. i hope this if, if if you hadn't seen this it doesn't pump it up too much but i think Dude, this is incredible
1: it's an incredible film it like was don't, an don't,
0: incredible don't film. it's
1: not I mean, gas man like people people are coming on doing the contrarian thing like ah y'all were hyping it no 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 don't listen it's so complex and the last thing i'll say is i think jamar the last thing that was really helpful is that we got a universal portrayal of a black man in a way that An audience can root for, you know, does not like flip these these thriller and terrifying movie stereotypes that you can root for this man. Like you want him to get out for real, you want him to survive. Like it is one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. It's a mixed audience, and to see the the visceral reactions (laughs) from my black brothers and sisters, (laughs) who you know they were going in on the movie, and then to see even white brothers and sisters cheering him getting out, like cheering <laughs> this, this it, it's, it's so cool, man. Like, it, and it was such a, a great cinematic experience. And so it's still something that, man, we, we've really only scratched the surface of this film. And we may even do another one on this later on in the year, just to talk about just so many of the layers, but it was something that I was privileged to have watched. And I was really glad that we have these, it's, it's really kind of a black renaissance for art. We have these portrayals now of movies and, and music and, and layered books and articles and podcasts that we can run to and really see an expression of our culture in a way that matters to us, in a way that we can identify with and in a way that promotes greater conversation. And so some people have been on the fence about going to see it. Listen, there's some language in the film. I'm not going to be your mom or your dad here. Like, I, I get it. Like, if you if you can handle it, go see the film. You you can read the reviews and the MPAA rating. So go see the film if you are able to. It's excellent. It has really helped us to process some things. And whenever I see Jamar again, I think we might just go see this again. I'll pay for your <laughs> ticket just so we can experience
0: this together. You heard it here, folks. And I want popcorn and a slushie.
1: Hold up, man. Like, that was not in the whoa. Like, come on, man. Don't presume here, bro. Don't presume. Okay, yeah. All right. It's it's a deal. It's a deal. You the boss, so it's a deal. Word. Man, well, thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of Pastor Mike. Again, review, review, review. Go to Pastor Mike on iTunes. Review. Give us a five-star review. And just tell us some of the things that you've experienced, learned from the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter as well at underscore Pastor Mike. On Facebook, we have a great private Facebook group. You can type in Pass the Mic on Facebook and request to get in, and we'll let you in. It's a great community of people, and we want you to be a part of it as well. But until next time, we will see you soon on the next Pass the Pass Mic. Pass
0: the Mic. You've
1: been listening to Pass the Mic. A Podastery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit That's
0: podastery.com. That's p o d a s t e r y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.